0: coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast.
1: A lot of time is spent educating our guests around neuropsychology, neurology, the science of psilocybin, the research that's been taking place out of, out of the States in the last few years, especially with Johns Hopkins. But we don't tend to burden our guests with frameworks of understanding right at the very beginning. It's very led, much led by what comes up in the, in the integration sessions. And so... One of the people that I greatly admire is Stanislav Grof. He's done a lot of the original early work with non-ordinary states. And so, you know, trauma is one bucket. Childhood sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse is one bucket. What we also get to see is a lot of age regression. Individuals will regress back to an age, typically when their trauma occurred. We see a lot of transference, mainly parental transference, where we act, you know, not by choice initially, but very intuitively as proxies for parental relationships that need healing as well. We see a lot of rebirths, okay? So Stan Grof did a lot of work talking about what's called the perinatal experience and how traumatic uh, the birthing process can be on an individual. So rebirth, transference, age regression, catharsis, we see time and time and time and time again on retreat. And it's not always material that's readily taught to therapists or psychologists either it's more outline material but i can tell you that working with hundreds of guests every year we see it time and time again
0: welcome to the psychedelic therapy podcast a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture designed for therapists healers retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts, presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Eamon Armstrong. There are only a few places in the world which offer legal access to high-impact psilocybin retreats. meditations stewarded by today's guest, Justin Townsend, is leading the way in sustainable. Ethical Psychedelic Healing, that takes into account the unique environment and needs of Jamaica and its people. On the show, we discuss Jungian depth psychology and other therapeutic modalities used at MycoMeditations. We talk about the value of a comprehensive, holistic team of caregivers for cathartic experiences. We review the efficacy of psilocybin as compared to ketamine therapy and ayahuasca ceremonies. Finally, we discuss the landscape of psychedelic healing in Jamaica and the importance of ethical and theogenic businesses. Meditations is a retreat that combines the powerful healing of multiple high-dose psilocybin experiences, a safe and caring group environment created by a knowledgeable support staff, and serene locations to catalyze life-changing transformations. As a business leader and startup advisor in a range of industries, including the healthcare space, Justin Townsend has also been on a personal quest to explore alternative healing therapies to combat his own anxiety and depression. Over the past 20 years, Justin has delved into both transpersonal and Jungian depth psychology, explored psychedelic modes of healing, and developed meditation and breathwork techniques, which he taught in Germany. Justin joined the MycoMeditations team in 2017, becoming partner and CEO in 2019. As a retreat facilitator, Justin draws inspiration from the profound healing he is privileged to witness and believes that psychedelics offer an exciting path forward for mental health. And now, here is Justin Townsend. Justin, do you do anything to like get yourself ready before something like an interview or it's probably different for a ceremony, but do you have any sort of like quick sort of centering procedure that you like?
1: I certainly do. Um, Polotropic breath work has been one of the foundations of the work that I've done over the years. And whether it's prior to a retreat or prior to a dosing session or prior to a podcast like this, I'll spend a bit of time just grounding and centering myself and Doing some breath work for about five minutes. So yeah,
0: nice. I I have not done my breath work. <laughs> did, you, did you? Are you? Do you feel well breathed in this moment? Do you feel I do centered? Oh, nice, wonderful. Well, I actually feel quite centered too because I've enjoyed. Our, our prep conversation. And for the listener, I had to stop Justin like three times because he was saying brilliant things. And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait for the podcast, wait for the podcast. So yeah, I'm really excited to speak with you today. I'm so interested in the insights that you've garnered with the retreats that you've been holding in Jamaica for a while, because you're really pioneering work there. And a lot of the guests on the show have been working with ketamine, which is of course, off label prescribed for mental health conditions in the US. And so there's a lot more uh, people are trying that a lot more in other spaces, but psilocybin less so. We have kind of the truffles, the truffle model in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. groups like synthesis, and then Jamaica. So, quickly, what is the legal status of psilocybin in Jamaica?
1: Yeah, that's a question I've been asked quite a few times over the last few years. I can't point you towards any law that says it's legal to use psilocybin in Jamaica neither is there any law here that says it's illegal to use psilocybin in Jamaica. So uh, what I can tell you is that Jamaica does have a bit of a history with psilocybin. There's a place that used to exist in Grill, one of the big tourist areas called Mrs. Brown's Tea Shop. And there she would serve up mushroom tea, both to the locals and to the early tourists about 30 or 40 years ago. So I know quite a few people in Jamaica that used to go and visit Mrs. Brown's tea shop. So it's been around for quite a while. And of course, with psilocybin cubensis, that hails from Cuba, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from here. And certainly there is psilocybin here that grows uh, naturally as well.
0: And how did you get involved in working with psilocybin? Do you remember when you first encountered psychedelic mushrooms?
1: Yes, indeed. I first encountered them scarily so in my late teens. But it was more of an entertainment, experimental kind of thing then. But fast forward, I've always had a very deep interest for the human condition and psychology, particularly depth psychology and the unconscious mind. And so what I'm more, I mean, I've never taken, I've not taken the traditional route when it comes to working with psychedelics. Okay. So there's no counseling or therapeutic or psychology degree in my background. What I was more known for, if you like, from my LinkedIn profile is I spent quite a few years working at the intersection of venture capital and startup companies, including building a couple of my own companies and selling them and also failing at a couple as well, which was good for my humility. But then back in the very early 2000s, I was introduced to the concept of ayahuasca by a good friend of mine. And back then it wasn't really that well known and not that common, And so I had my first few ayahuasca experiences in the very, very early 2000s. And um, I got to know one of the companies particularly well. And as you can imagine, flying in shamans from South America and transporting facilitators and putting them in an accommodation in various locations around Europe took quite a bit of cash. So I was approached and asked if I could help them out and do some investment, which I did, but in return, my request was, well now teach me everything, you know, please. So a lot of my original grounding with psychedelics was via the more shamanic uh, indigenous roots. So I spent quite a bit of time helping to facilitate ayahuasca ceremonies and learning those methods. A few years later, when I moved to Germany, I went and learned holotropic breathwork, which is a great legal method to access and release repressed emotions. I went from learning it to then teaching it after a couple of years to then leading some four day long holotropic breathwork retreats and continued to learn other more alternative healing methods over those years and dipping in and out of the psychedelic scene and the underground network scene for quite some time and then in about 2016 2017 i got to know Micromeditations, meditations came on board as an advisor to the company initially and then as an owner and then as the ceo of the company and in that time Initially was assisting with leading retreats and then eventually ended up leading some of our retreats as well. And then if you'd have asked me like five or six years ago, could you ever see yourself running a psychedelic assisted therapy company in Jamaica? The answer would have been no. Neither would I have been keen to put it on my LinkedIn profile, but these two very disparate paths seemingly converged in 2017 and so here I find myself in Jamaica running a psychedelic assisted Company.
0: Well, Justin, you've touched on so many interesting threads that I'd like to follow during the course of this conversation. I'd love to learn about the landscape of psychedelic business in Jamaica. Of course, I want to talk a lot about psilocybin, how it relates to, as you were speaking about, ayahuasca, also ketamine in the U.S. But I think a good starting place for us would be with your interest in Jungian depth psychology. I find that with the psychedelic landscape that there's a lot of focus on different kinds of trauma modalities, like kind of trauma therapy, There's a lot of shamanism and there's a lot of kind of neo-shamanism, a sort of like general melding of different kinds of hippie beliefs, um, which are not bad, but there's, you know, some use a little bit of yoga, a little bit of Eastern philosophy. And there's, there's a bit of young that's thrown in the mix. And it's usually like the shadow is thrown in. There's a lot of conversation about the Mm -hmm. shadow. But I don't know, in, in my personal exploration of uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy, I haven't encountered anyone who is really focused primarily on Jungian depth psychology. And so I'm curious about that and why that seems to pair so well with a cathartic dose of uh, psychedelic mushroom.
1: Sure. Whilst... Jungian depth psychology is one of the foundations that we use, it's not the only foundation. We have a wide variety of different frameworks that we use here that we choose from selectively when working with guests. Jung was one of the first individuals to start really working comprehensively and understand the unconscious mind, and certainly did all the early work that I'm aware of with regards to the collective unconscious as well, which is something that certainly turns up very frequently in our retreats. So whether it's understanding archetypal energies or just simply explaining the concept to guests is that you can imagine that your entire mind is like an iceberg and the 10% above the water is your conscious mind, the 90% below the water is your subconscious and unconscious mind. The shadow aspect of this comes on very, very strongly. It's one of the key aspects, frankly, that we that we witness time and time again where our guests are confronted with the shadow aspects of their personality. And we simply explain it as these are all the things about yourself that you don't want to admit to, some of which you do know, but the vast majority of which you don't know about. And so being able to frame our guests' experiences uh, within these frameworks is is very, very key, but we do it on a take it or leave it basis. I mean, one of the things that we don't do is impose any kind of top-down belief systems upon our guests or any top-down cosmologies we basically meet them where they are and we have a full range of guests from hardcore material reductionist scientists at one end all the way through to the extremely religious at the other end and in some cases a lot of mormons leaving their religion and transitioning out of their religion as well so there's a there's a wide variety of, of of guest belief systems and understandings understandings that we work with and Understanding the unconscious mind is very very relevant to work with 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 psilocybin and psychedelics Especially given I mean you talked about trauma earlier So we work with guests that recover a lot of abuse memories. So what we're dealing with there is Dissociative amnesia the power of denial all of which are protective mechanisms of the psyche and so when a guest consumes psilocybin which is an ab reactive and abreactive is simply a psychoanalytical term that means that it can raise within you that which has the most emotional charge and present it to you for processing in a, in a, in a cathartic manner quite often. With that comes lots of uh, memories of childhood abuses, both of which are stored in the unconscious mind and normally unavailable to the conscious mind. And secondarily, we see time and time again are stored in the body as well. So it's not uncommon if a guest is recovering an abuse memory, both that the, the, the recall of the memory and the event comes back in stark clarity, but there'll be a lot of convulsion and twitching and vocalization as the guest is processing, releasing that trauma too.
0: You know, I've got to ask for my own personal healing and for, you know, this is for me and for people I talk to, how do, how do you know how much you got to get out? right with somatic healing it okay. seems like there's 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 repressed memories or there's stuff that's in the body when you're doing a retreat like this when you're going in how do you know like what you need to get out how much you need to get out when you're done are you tracking that for your guests do you have a sense of the the full arc of the process that they're experiencing
1: we absolutely do yes and i would certainly say that the goal is not to come on a week's retreat in jamaica have three doses and then process a lifetime's worth of repressed psychological material. That's just not gonna happen. Occasionally it happens, right? But more often than not, some of that material will get processed enough that a person can start to thrive again and function again in life, okay? So as part of our process prior to dosing, we will sit down with the guests in a group setting um, led by our therapist, and glean a complete understanding of the guests' reasons for being there. We want to understand their childhood, their relation to their caretakers, what their experiences were throughout life. And often in those kind of talks, there's lots of tears come up. I mean, you know, the minute that you hit the book button to book a retreat with us, whether it's weeks or months ago, what we see time and time again is the processing is already starting to begin. Uh, A lot of guests recount the fact that memories they'd long forgotten about start to surface, material comes up in the weeks prior to retreat. So when they finally get here, they're very emotionally ripe and ready to talk and ready to work. One of the benefits of psilocybin is that an individual's defenses will lower very, very quickly. And what might take seemingly a decade or many, many years in a typical therapeutic environment back in the States or Europe, you know, getting somebody's defenses to lower so you can address issues and really get to the, to the heart of the matter, just happens immediately here. So often the analogy I'll give a, to a guest is that you can imagine that all your repressed material is a bit like, well, if you picture in your mind like when you were young and at school and learning about geology, you've been shown a diagram about all these layers of sediment that have been laid down over millions and millions of years. And often there's a hard crust on top. You don't know how thick that is or how hard that is. You have to break through that hard crust with the psilocybin to reach the, the softer material underneath that you can begin to sift through and work with. And then ah, you think, well, that's it now. My 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 work is done. And then you'll enter into a subsequent dose and realize there are many, many more layers to be processed through time and time again. But generally, guests come with a fairly good idea of what it is they want to work on whilst they're here. They get to process that while they're here, but for a good portion of them as well, a good substantial amount of the material that comes up was just unknown to them in their adult lives and in their conscious minds.
0: It seems like with some psychedelic healing, we have environments, perhaps they're (laughs) shamanic environments, perhaps they're therapeutic settings. Some things come up and there isn't necessarily the full support there for the guest When they're having that experience, someone might be in an ayahuasca ceremony, the shaman is able to help bring these energies up, but then who's there to kind of integrate them or to help them process it? What does it look like at the retreats that you host in terms of the team that surrounds the different guests that come through? How do you sort of manage what might come up?
1: Okay, so the company's evolved over the years and certainly how we operate now isn't how we operated a few years ago. So, But we've evolved out of necessity and out of a sense of care for our guests and clients, and recognizing that you know adverse events are known to happen, and that catharsis can be an extremely powerful and sometimes violent experience as well. So we are staffed with a licensed psychiatrist that's licensed in Jamaica. We have therapists on the team, often with specialization in trauma. We have nurses, And then we have very, very experienced facilitators that work in the dosing space. And so the dosing of, we do three doses throughout the week. Uh, The dosing is a good half a day, six or seven hours long. Uh, We're spending a lot of time with guests then. And then the following day in the morning at 9 a.m., we'll meet for a group integration session. That's also led by our trauma specialists and therapists. And that's where that team, we'll start to get to grips with and discuss uh, the material that came up during the trip itself, and then help those guests to begin to, the process of, of acceptance and then integration of that material as well. And that's, that continues throughout the week. And whilst every trip is seemingly different for each guest, what we tend to see is that the first dose builds towards a second dose, the second dose ultimately contributes towards a third and final dose. Guests won't always understand the meaning of the material that's come up or why they're experiencing what they're experiencing in the early doses, but certainly by the end of the week, it will make sense.
0: And so you quite wisely pointed out that you can't really expect a week-long retreat to reveal and help you process a lifetime of repressed memories or a lifetime of trauma. So how do you prioritize long-term change and integration? what do you guide the guests to do upon leaving retreats? And also, how do you track, once a guest has left, how do you track the long-term efficacy of the work that you're doing with the guests who come through?
1: That's a very good question. And the answer is community, community, community. So prior to the guests arriving, about two to three weeks before they get here, we create a WhatsApp channel for all of them and our staff. And that's where the guests start to get to know each other and break the ice for the first time whether it's posting memes or pet photographs or discussing how nervous they are about coming on retreat. And believe me, every guest arrives here on a spectrum somewhere between slightly nervous and terrified, okay? Then we spend the week with them, and we use that WhatsApp group for general logistics and communication throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, the guests all head back home on a Friday, and that WhatsApp group stays alive. Now, we as a company also provide free of charge follow-up integration calls about a month following the retreat sometimes there are more hardcore cases that we have to deal with in which case we give them the support of our therapists whilst we help them transition to a therapist in their area that's specialized in the material that's come up for them so that ongoing integration is absolutely necessary we also send out regular weekly or monthly surveys where we can monitor the longitudinal effects of the the psilocybin and how those guests are faring weeks and weeks and months down the line. And so it really is community. And then we have what we would call our worldwide micro group that's full of hundreds and hundreds of former guests and alumni. Then we have regional groups and then local groups as well. So it really is a sense of community and everybody helping each other out. The need for long-term integration is absolutely key. And in some cases, that's going to be therapy in its purest form, especially for those that have recovered abuse memories or sexual abuse memories from their past. For others, we tend to see it's often more coaching that's required. So we have a lot of guests that come down, for example, that have depression. Now, when I went to see my doctor in the 80s or 90s with depression, I, like many others, was told, well, this is down to an imbalance in your brain chemicals. They're going to give you an SSRI medication that's going to make all of that better. Okay. Okay but we know now that all that really does is helps managing the symptoms. And even then it's only effective for about 30% of the people that actually have depression. So we don't treat depression always as an illness per se. What we see is that depression is more of a symptom of adverse life events, whether it's been something more recent or something from decades ago. So many, many guests will turn up with treatment resistant depression, various forms of chronic depression. That's often coupled with polyrheumatoid arthritic conditions, a lot of inflammation. There's a very clear connection between inflammation and depression. And then once a psilocybin does its work in an ab-reactive way and gets to the core of the issues such as trauma, when when that's processed through catharsis and the therapeutic environment that we have, then we see the depression start to lift. And by the second dose, we see that there's no more body pain, literally no more body pain. And these are guests that have had depression for decades. They've been in decades of talk therapy. They've tried a multitude of different medications. In some cases, electroconvulsive therapy and have lost their memory to boot. So this is often a medicine of last choice for them. And we see that literally clear up within a week. So some of those guests don't need therapy. What they need is coaching. How to go back now and thrive in the world. So a lot of our time is spent in more more of a coaching capacity really than a therapeutic capacity, unless it's really needed.
0: And so I understand that off-label ketamine has been shown to be very effective for treating depression, and specifically, as from what I understand, on a, on a neurological level, that the way that it affects the glutamate system, I'm not a scientist, I'm just a podcaster, but I, <laughs> from what I understand, it seems to be what everyone's crowing about as the depression treatment, can you tell me about what makes psilocybin so effective and also how it compares to something like ketamine or, as we were discussing earlier, ayahuasca as a healing modality? Hmm.
1: Okay, so in the same way that, you're, that you caveated that you're a podcaster, I will caveat that I'm not a scientist. <laughs> so I've never tried ketamine before, but I have been to some of the ketamine clinics in New York and taken a look. Many of them are what I call turn and burn clinics. Right. So there's no follow up integration. There's no dealing with the material that came up if it came up during that session. You go in for your eight treatments over a period of time. Then you kick back out the door again. And we have a lot of people come here on retreat that have had ketamine treatments. And what I get told time and time again is the outcomes are extremely short lived, extremely short lived, a matter of days, if not weeks, in some cases. And we hear a lot about guests that have had ketamine treatments. Material has come up for processing, but they've been shown the door. So I'm not a big fan of these so-called turn and burn clinics. I think ketamine is getting a lot of headlines right now and has done for the last few years, obviously because it's legal. You can go to a clinic in the US and and work with it. I'm sure we'll see a point in the future with all these new big public companies coming to market where you can go to a clinic at some point in the future and either receive ketamine, MDMA, or psilocybin all under one roof. What I tend to see with ketamine where it has the most efficacy is that if somebody is seriously suicidal, and I don't mean ideation or gestures, somebody that's either tried to commit suicide before, was serious about it, but was unsuccessful, or they're back into a very strong suicidal mode again, and their, their loved ones and caretakers think there's a very high risk they're gonna commit suicide, the first place I recommend that anybody goes is to a ketamine clinic. It buys the individuals uh, a window of time in which they can work with therapists that are really specialized and hopefully help them overcome their suicidal urges. As to the long-term efficacy of ketamine, all I can say is that we see time and time and time again, many of our guests have tried it, but it's been extremely short-lived. I'm aware that ketamine isn't ab-reactive, And again, that's the, you know, that's a psychoanalytical term for raising that which has the most emotional charge within you for processing your repressed material. But it doesn't appear to me based on what I'm speaking with guests about and people that have tried it anywhere near as powerful as psilocybin. But psilocybin has some other things going for it. You're going to get the reset of the default mode network in many cases or a partial reset of the default mode network. You are going to get cognitive insights into your behaviors and maybe your codependent relationships or ways of being that are not healthy to you. You're going to have emotional breakthroughs, right? That's subject to the catharsis. And you're also going to, if you're fortunate, have the mystical experience as well. And, you know, as the research has shown, the mystical experience definitely contributes to long-term psychological well-being. So I think that psilocybin delivers on a number of fronts whereas ketamine seems to
0: only deliver neurologically. Mm, Fascinating. And what about ayahuasca? You were working with ayahuasca to begin with, and it seems like ayahuasca is often sort of marketed as kind of like the heavyweight, the big one. You know, like there's ketamine, there's psilocybin, but like really the next level you go deep and you do your deep ayahuasca work. So how does psilocybin relate to ayahuasca?
1: So I've been through many 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 ayahuasca ceremonies and I have drunk copious amounts of ayahuasca over the years actually to the point where one particular session with ayahuasca turned me inside out for about two or three years and I stayed away from psychedelics for a while I was frankly too scared to go back in okay I'm not going to get into any depth about that experience right now but it harkens back to the fact that we see a lot of ayahuasca casualties coming through our retreat. The problem is this, is that if you were to go to South America and not be too selective about the retreat you went on, there are a lot of people that are are locals, right, that can dress up like a shaman with feathers and drums and all the appropriate equipment and props and then source their ayahuasca down at the local market, and yet not have any experience or training in their lineage working with ayahuasca. So that's one part of the problem. Second part of the problem, not all ayahuasca retreats, does the shaman speak English or understand Western concepts. I'd say thirdly, I've got a great deal of respect for shamanism and indigenous peoples and the way they heal. And certainly one portion that they do effectively heal emotional disturbances, if you like, and physiological upset. But the other part of what they're healing is within a belief system. And if you were not raised in a South American indigenous belief system, I question the value of that healing to the individual, okay? So I'm not aware, of, I mean, of late, there've been more and more ayahuasca retreats with English speaking staff offering integration but certainly 10, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't the case. And I I say finally, a lot of people get terrified, literally terrified by their ayahuasca experiences. Not all that you can witness within an ayahuasca experience has any bearing whatsoever with this reality that we know and exist in every day. It's very hard to comprehend the meaning of those experiences and individuals can be blown wide open, literally blown wide open and be in very, very fragile states they're often far away from any hospitals in the depths of a jungle, perhaps, and um, it can be quite a, a scary experience when you when you go through that. I've heard of a lot of good healing with ayahuasca. I, th- I think the fact it takes place within an indigenous setting with shamans that that don't understand Western conceptual frameworks
0: is part of the issue as well. Mm. So. I'm going to circle back to something we talked about at the very beginning, which is this different psychological frameworks that you are leveraging at these retreats. Because I think it's a natural progression from the conversation we're having about shamanism, which is essentially, how do we know what worldview, what psychological worldview, what approach is going to be the right fit for a particular person. I think one of the things that happens so much in psychedelic healing, particularly self-directed psychedelic healing over a number of years, is that there's kind of a grab bag of spiritual traditions or therapeutic approaches and people perhaps with deep long-standing trauma or with whatever kind of psychological disturbances are sort of grabbing at different things. Maybe this works, maybe this works, maybe this works. It sounds like what you've been able to do over a number of years, is you've been able to kind of test what's working with different people, and you're working with a sophisticated and large enough team that you're able to get a lot of different perspectives on that. So my question here is, what are some of the psychological frameworks that you use? How do you determine them? And have you been able to kind of accrue data over time about what is most effective
1: okay so following each dosing session the next day we have our group integration talk okay um, but prior to that a lot of time is spent educating our guests around neuropsychology neurology the science of psilocybin the research has been taking place out of, out of the states in the last few years especially with johns hopkins but we don't tend to burden our guests with frameworks of understanding right at the very beginning. It's very led, much led by what comes up in the, in the integration sessions. And so one of the people that I greatly admire is Stanislav Groff. He's done a lot of the original early work with non-ordinary states. And so, you know, trauma is one bucket, childhood sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse is one bucket. What we also get to see is a lot of age regression Individuals will regress back to an age, typically when their trauma occurred. And by regress, I mean their body language, their tone of voice, how they hold themselves. I can go from working with a 55-year-old female that's all of a sudden an eight-year-old child. Or even I've seen certain individuals cooing and clucking like a young infant, all right? So age regression is very common. We see a lot of transference, mainly parental transference, where we act, you know, not by choice initially, but very intuitively as proxies for parental relationships that need healing as well. We see a lot of rebirths, okay? So Stan Grob did a lot of work talking about what's called the perinatal experience and how traumatic uh, the birthing process can be on an individual. And I can certainly say we've had a number of individuals over the years that have come through and have been very present and conscious. And I said, right, I know what's happening. This was 60 odd years ago. I'm going down the birth canal. My mother had too much gas. She was completely checked out. I feel this tightening like a snake around my body. I'm choking. I feel an umbilical cord around my neck. Then you will witness an assist in a struggle that takes place over three or four hours until the person finally comes through and out the other side. And this, by the way, may be an individual that arrived with a lot of extreme generalized anxiety that by the end of the, the retreat and having had their rebirth experience is now no longer afflicted with their anxiety. So this is something rebirth, transference, age regression, catharsis. We see time and time and time and time again on retreat. And it's not always material that's readily taught to therapists or psychologists either. It's more outline material, but I can tell you that working with hundreds of guests every year, we see it time and time again.
0: And so have you been able to kind of open source any of this data, any of what you've learned? Do you share this with other retreat centers or are you part of communities that are discussing this and kind of building on the information?
1: Fair question. So we do participate in research with various institutes We've just launched a research project that's retroactive with a group called Science out of Canada, P-S-Y-E-N-C-E. We also keep clinical notes throughout the week as well for each guest, that's taken by the therapist. We follow a format that goes along the lines of this. What was your initial dose? Was it three grams, five grams, 10 grams? What was the onset of your experience like? What was your experience in a nutshell? Okay, what was the meta arc, the meta theme for your experience? Three details or more to recall. And then any details the following day, now that you've had a time to unpack it and process and, and sleep on it, has anything new come to you? And often lots of new material come. So we record all of this. We document all of this. We've also participated with the Imperial College London research. We've got other research lined up for the future as well. The longitudinal aspect of this is very, very key, which is why we keep all the clinical notes and maintain very, very tight contact with our guests afterwards as well. As to sharing it with other retreat centers, I don't think the industry is mature enough yet for that kind of collaboration. There are too many warring parties and too many warring companies involved trying to claim space, trying to position themselves as the leaders or having eminent domain over psychedelics, whether it's the indigenous on one hand, whether it's the the white coats and the psychiatrists on the other hand, or Big Pharma is involved in all of this as well. So there's a lot of warring that's happening. We are certainly very collaborative with a select number of companies. I'm a great believer in symbiosis, you know, the concept of mutual cooperation and the rising tide lifts all ships. One of the things we're doing in Jamaica is is establishing a psilocybin council. Jamaica is beginning to investigate the licensing and regulatory environment for Jamaica, working with psychedelics and in particular psilocybin. Uh, We're somewhat involved in that as well. And by putting together a psilocybin committee, there'll be founding members that are part of that. And then all the other companies, whether you're a cultivation company, a pharmaceutical company, a retreat company, or... One that's focused more on integration and therapy for the post-retreat experience are all invited to have a seat at the table. So that's something that we have, we've been thinking about. And as the industry starts to reach a bit of maturity in Jamaica, there's definitely going to be a need for that as well. No company is an island
0: unto itself. Well, and this is a great segue just to talk about the landscape of psychedelics in Jamaica. One of the things that's very near and dear to my heart is the idea of a ethical psychedelic company. And we are in a capitalist context, which you just alluded to, where it's difficult to share data with different parties when people are trying to establish their dominance in a capitalist sense. There's also, you know, the post-colonial context of Jamaica, you know, what is actually happening on the island itself. Do these psychedelic retreat centers end up supporting the local Jamaican population? Or are they sort of coexisting in such a way that a lot of the rewards and the wealth and the riches are going to the folks that are coming in to build these centers? Versus the local Jamaican people, so there's so it's it's an interesting issue in the context of both capitalism and and the post-colonial context in Jamaica, and this is a meaty topic. So I'll give we've got a lot of time to to touch on it. But I'm curious what you feel the obligations are to the local population, how you're working with the local population, and the idea of psychedelic ethics in the context of populations. You know, similarly, you could say Costa Rica or or Mm. in the Amazon. What does it mean to be a Western company doing business in psychedelics in a space like Jamaica?
1: glad we're talking about this. It's been alarming to watch public companies set their eyes on Jamaica, come in with checkbooks and very deep pockets, often with very credentialed individuals at the helm as well on their advisory boards. And I don't trust their agenda, frankly. Jamaica has a history of foreigners and foreign companies coming here, taking the resources and just leaving again. So the ethos of this company is the opposite of that. I mean, first of all, you know, I can tell you that the trickle-down economy works here, okay, on a very local level. So from the transport companies that we use to get people to and from the airport to our retreat center, from the various long-term leases we have with villas at three locations in Jamaica, where we host our retreats, the kitchen staff, the grounds people, and everybody that works within those villas are all local Jamaicans as well, to the massage therapists that are all Jamaican, to the restaurants that we use and work with and providers of vegetables and similar. And then our guests all get to do a bit of retail therapy and some shopping while they're here, and we'll put a lot of their dollars into the local economy as well. And then we also hire a lot of Jamaicans, okay? so. Obviously we're going through COVID now. Hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, We've maintained a skeleton staff in Jamaica since, well, we shut down last March because of COVID, opened again in August, maintained a skeleton staff from March through to where we are right now. But typically out of about 20 plus employees, 10 of those Jamaican locals that have worked with us for a number of years, whether it's facilitating in the mushroom space or the the two females that I have that are cultivators here that grow all of our mushrooms for us. So it's very important ethos to us that we work within the community and we give back to the community. And by the way, we don't just pay local rates. We pay three to four times what they would otherwise earn if they were to be employed here by a Jamaican company. So it's all about who we are and how we do it. I think Jamaica has a real window of opportunity to work with psilocybin out here, whether it's research companies, retreats, I like to see them get ahead of the curve on that and really embrace it I think it could be very very good for the country but whether the government gets on board in the right time frame remains to be seen but I'm aware that they are certainly addressing uh, the licensing and regulatory issues the flip side is is that as this has hit more and more in the press there are many many local Jamaicans now trying to grow their own mushrooms and selling them privately now I am not for over-regulation or over-licensing, but I'm certainly for regulations and licensing and a controlled environment where people can consume psilocybin in safety with very experienced individuals. But, you know, there's a lot of unemployment here, a lot of despair, a lot of alcoholism. And we get to hear occasionally about horror stories with local Jamaicans that have been taking cocaine or alcohol and consuming psilocybin as well. And frankly, it concerns the hell out of me. So I'm hoping that we can get some kind of licensing and regulatory framework in place sooner rather than later.
0: Is there any strong resistance to psilocybin from local Jamaican folks? Are there any sort of bodies that are protesting or lobbying against this big kind of mushrooming, if you will, of psilocybin (laughs) retreat centers in Jamaica? Or is it broadly looked at as bringing prosperity to the country?
1: It's in transition. I would say that when we first came to the area where we operate, we had to do a lot of work on the ground to establish ourselves within the community. Just by virtue of the fact we were a foreign company, first of all, um, in an area that doesn't see too many foreign companies. Secondarily, uh, Jamaica is a very religious country, somewhat conservative as well. And in some parts of the country, you know, mushrooms were looked upon as witchcraft. But thankfully, where we operate now, most of the locals here know what we do and know how we do it we also make the effort to work with local jamaicans that are suffering so if i know of a jamaican fisherman for example that can't go out to sea because of the curfews or because the covid situation and is stuck at home isolated and is not catching fish and suffering from depression you better believe that we're going to sit down and, and give that individual a dosing session as well. And so as we do that locally with Jamaicans, that word gets said as well. As to island-wide, there really aren't that many retreat companies operating here yet, okay? There was a buildup happening pre-COVID. COVID put a stop to most of that for at least the last 12 to 15 months, but it is frothy here and it's getting frothier. I don't doubt there's gonna be an influx of both retreat companies and pharmaceutical companies is there going to be pushback yes i suspect there will be pushback but how that manifests and what form it takes i just cannot predict right now
0: so in addition to some of the steps that you've taken that you've just described do you have any other advice for companies that want to set up shop in jamaica doing retreats with psilocybin ways that you feel would be in the highest ethical alignment other than what we've already discussed?
1: Operating in Jamaica as a foreign company has its own challenges. Banking out here is not easy, okay? The Jamaican culture, they have a saying called soon come. So if you expect to have a meeting at 2 p.m. with a Jamaican, it's not always gonna happen at 2 p.m., okay, everything has its own timeline here. So there are some Adjustments to be made if you come swaggering in here like you own the place The likelihood is you're going to get run out by the locals pretty quickly as well So establishing trust within the community is key Contributing back towards community is key, but not out of a sense of Quid pro quo. We're giving you this and contributing this but in return we expect that The intention has to be from the heart. Okay, and doing this for the right reasons not just because you expect something back in return. As an aside, from that, you know any any retreat company needs to be adequately staffed. I mean, look, you need ten thousand hours under your belt if you're going to fly a jumbo jet jam packed full of tourists. I'm going to suggest as well, if you want to work in the mushroom space, you need to get a few hundred to ideally a thousand or two hours under your belt working in the mushroom space as well. We have a ratio of around about one member of staff to every two guests, whether that's a retreat leader, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a nurse or a facilitator. So adequate staffing is absolutely essential as well. And aside from that, education and working with the locals. I mean, if you know of a local that's suffering with depression or anxiety, we had one on retreat actually last week, then work with them and they will be an ambassador for you and an ambassador for the the work with psilocybin as well. But in the same way as American companies, cannabis companies are suffering with banks not accepting their revenue, that's going to start happening in Jamaica as well. I mean, the way that we structure our company is that we have a retreat organization where you book your retreat, but we have a separate Jamaican company, which is our cultivation company. And what we won't have is U.S. tourists paying for a retreat with their U.S. dollars and also buying psilocybin with their us dollars okay they will come to jamaica and do a separate transaction with a cultivation company to actually buy the psilocybin i don't want to see any americans coming out here and um being accused of buying an illegal substance or something like that even if they are based in the us so giving some thought as to how you structure your organization and your company is 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 key as well getting work permits is uh, a bit of a lengthy process but definitely worth doing if you're gonna be out here for some time, don't be coming here on a tourist visa. As for therapists working out here, I would welcome applications from any therapist that wanna come out and train. And all of our therapists go through what's called our FIT training. It means facilitator in training. We have FIT one and FIT two, where therapists and or facilitators or anybody else that wants to work with us will come out here. It doesn't matter if you've spent 25 years as a therapist, Doesn't matter to me, okay? It does not necessarily mean that you're equipped to work with a guest in the mushroom space. A lot of the work, if you're a beginner, can seem quite intimidating when people are going through extreme catharsis. So work with mushrooms yourself and learn as much as you can about Jungian frameworks and and the unconscious mind. Read all the work of Stanislav Grof, and then ultimately get as many hours under your belt dealing with transference, rebirths, age regressions, and extreme catharsis and be prepared to come out here for a couple of months at a time it's not easy I realize that you know well-established therapists have husbands and wives and children and mortgages and a, and a long client list of, of their own clients so it's not readily available to them always to come out here and spend two months in Jamaica but the way our therapists do it when they come to us is, is they typically come for two or three months on and one month off we are holding between two to four retreats a month always with a week's break in between. And our therapists will work on the retreat for a week. Then in the off week, they'll be using Zoom to have client calls and offer therapy to their clients as well. And that's also how they supplement their income.
0: Wow, that's such a comprehensive response. And you anticipated the question that I tend to end the show with. So nicely done. I usually ask for advice directly to therapists at the end of the show. Okay. Would you add any additional? Well, let's do it this way. What advice do you have to psychedelic therapists, both in the context of working with psilocybin like they would at uh, a retreat in Jamaica, or just generally in terms of their work and their careers? If you could speak directly to psychedelic therapists, what would you say?
1: Point one, be prepared to leave your professional aloofness at the door, okay? We operate with very professional boundaries here, but we have more of a relational model of therapy relating to our guests, which we're building mutually equitable relationships here. Okay. And meeting them on their level. If that means that we're sometimes going to share aspects of our own lives and the challenges that we've been through, if it's relevant, we will do so. So that relational method of therapy, that model is very, very key. Secondly, in the States, if you're a therapist and a client comes to see you, you have many, many weeks and months to build a connection and trust and confidence with your client. That's not the case when, when they come to Jamaica. So the ability to connect with our guests very, very quickly on more than just a superficial level is absolutely key. So connection is key. The experience is another aspect I'm looking for. And then the ability to call upon a wide variety of different techniques to apply is essential as well. I'd also add that you know if you're back in the US and you have a difficult client, and let's say they're abusive towards you or they're rude or they're angry. As a therapist, you may be very good at masking on your face how you may feel about that. But inside, you may be upset, in turmoil, and you can mask that kind of response back in the States. In the mushroom space, when our guests are on therapeutic doses of mushrooms and their emotional antenna are extremely extended, they are sensitive to everything. So you have to expect out here that you will indeed become a lightning rod for people's anger, negative emotions. Learning not to take that personally is key, okay? And secondarily, if you do, via a micro expression, show any judgment of what the guest is going through, if you're intimidated or in fear or you're nervous, the guest will pick up on that immediately, no matter how good you think you're masking it in your face. And the only way, frankly, to overcome that is a combination of experience and building your confidence by working with more and more difficult situations. But secondarily, eat mushrooms and eat lots of mushrooms. Work on your shadow material. The analogy I often give to our guests is that you're a house and it may be that your windows are nice and clean and the sun's shining through and that your bookcases don't have any dust on them but everybody has a basement, and it's behind a locked door, and down some rickety stairs and into the darkness. That's where you need to go with your mushroom work, and work on clearing as much of your own issues and shutting material out as possible, so that when you come into the mushroom space, you are clear, and you are not negatively affected by what happens in that space, or intimidated by it, or expressing any forms of judgment or fear. So.
0: I'd say that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) That's such great advice. I'm I'm guessing you've done some deep trips into your own basement over the course of all the work that you've done, you know, doing ayahuasca in the early 2000s and then being in a leadership role at an organization such as this. I I imagine that a huge part of your leadership has to be that kind of personal development, deep inner work. Yes, you're right. It's key.
1: I dose normally once a month. It's my maintenance dose. I'm not doing it for, sometime, well, that's not quite true. Sometimes I do it to explore the contents of my own psyche and the unconscious. And no matter how many times I've dosed, many hundreds of times, there are many, many mansions still to be unlocked. That's interesting. Uh, secondarily, I think you can do a good portion of clearing out your basement with dosing once a month for a year to 18 months. You're going to clear out 80% of the crud that's in there and be very clear about who you are and what you stand for. The remaining 20% of that crud that's in the basement, you're gonna work on for the rest of your life. And so Jung had the concept that when you're born to when you die is a process of individuation, okay? A process of becoming whole and complete and begins with midlife, okay? Following midlife, which is sometimes a crisis as we all know, right? There is working with the shadow and the goal is to integrate the shadow aspect of your personality the next phase after that, he claims is, if you're a female, to embody the male aspects of your persona, and if you're a male, to embody the female aspects of your persona. That doesn't mean you feminize yourself, it just means there are different qualities and attributes that you can take on board and, and integrate, until finally, you reach the stage in your old age of being the wise old man or the wise old woman, otherwise known as Mama. So. Understanding it in terms of that framework, that it's a lifelong work that we're all doing. Of course, it's never as linear as Jung would like to describe. It's actually quite a messy process, but that's kind of how I view things. Uh, So for me, my dosing is about, you know, I, I accumulate crud and crap throughout the month, right? Of course I do. And working in the dosing space, there's a lot of what I call emotional or psychic debris floating around when people are going through catharsis. It's imperative that we maintain mental and emotional hygiene, and mushrooms is is the best way to do that, followed by good integration. And I would also say, finally, every therapist needs a therapist. I make sure that there's one uh, that we pay for that's available to all of our staff. It can get very heavy in there at times, and um, that that kind of self-care and nurture is absolutely key as well.
0: Justin, I love that you brought us back to young at the end, which is great. It's great radio when you get that circle back. And, you know, this is a little divergent from how I usually host, but I'll share that I've had the anima psychedelic experience. For me, it was ayahuasca, but the experience of like fully embodying a, an a completely feminine expression of myself. Not like I'm a guy with a feminine side, but like an actual the woman version of me. And it was profoundly healing, I think, particularly in the cultural context of coming out of the US, just coming out of this sort of Western. Hyper gender polarity energy of like yeah. it, boys don't cry that whole that whole thing and I love what you said because you were talking about it and you're like you have the shadow and then you have this and I was like wait did I do it out of order um, and then of course <laughs> of course you're like no well it's all messy and it's all happening but this idea of integrating the shadow integrating our gender polarity like. Going into those unconscious spaces and actually getting to live and experience aspects of ourselves that we may have exiled or hidden or um, we just don't want to look at at all, that is absolutely key to healing, whether it be that it's a trauma piece that has been locked away or it's just something that you were told not to love about yourself. And it's not so dramatic. I think that these medicines and psilocybin is extraordinarily potent at this. Let us walk down those the mysterious corridors or into those basements and actually be like, oh, well, this isn't all that bad. I'm actually still lovable. I'm actually like, I'm actually like a good person. And it sounds like a lot of people who've come through the retreats that you've been involved with have been able to walk away with that understanding and hopefully with all of the integration support that you've described, been able to maintain it and actually integrate that into their lives. Absolutely. They certainly have.
1: I guess one more point I'd like to make about the shadow. It's not always dark material. It's not always disgust and shame and horror and terror. Imagine the stereotypical cold callous CEO type, right? I've had that type of individual down on retreat before. And what he discovered on his second dose in his shadow was a lot of capacity for love and tenderness and compassion. He was raised by a cold and callous business magnate father who taught this gentleman for a very young age, that's not who you are and how you are. And so he repressed it and was a cold and callous individual. And when he was able to access tenderness and love and compassion for himself and for others within his shadow, he started the process of becoming whole very, very quickly. And it was a joy to see how a year later he was a completely changed individual for the better.
0: Mm. What a great story to, to land us on in this beautiful hour of conversation. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for the work that you're doing. How can people follow Meditations? You said that people can apply as therapists. How can people connect both with the retreat center, the company, but also yourself?
1: Certainly. So, first of all, my email address is justin at com. Okay. Our web address is mycomeditations.com. There's a lot of information on there about the company and the individuals and how we operate. Definitely check out TripAdvisor. We are very happy. We've got nearly 100 plus five-star reviews on there. And these aren't just a paragraph or two. These are long, long testimonials. So that's another way to get to know us and the work we do and to see the kind of experiences that our guests have as well. And I think they speak for themselves. So that will be the best way. If you're interested in coming here as a therapist, I'd be very happy to receive an email from you. We can have a chat and discuss how that would look.
0: Well, I mean, this is the right audience. So I imagine you'll be getting some emails, particularly now with so much interest blossoming. And I think in the post-COVID landscape, when retreat centers are able to operate more completely, I think there'll be a lot of need for new staff and there'll be a lot of people who are eager to support. And as you've so sagely pointed out, these people will need to do their own work too (laughs) so you know we're all we're all healing together well justin thank you for coming on the psychedelic therapy podcast it's been very elucidative for me I, i learned a lot during this conversation today and i feel personally grateful so thanks for your time
1: thank you Amy. i feel the same way it's been really good to get to know you and thank you for having me on your show
0: thank you for joining us on the psychedelic therapy podcast If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to mayahealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.